Hello everyone and welcome back to the Incarnational Interior Life. Um, today Father Horn's going to talk about what we'll be going into today a little bit in the, his uh, essay, Abiding in Mary's Womb with the Holy Spirit, and maybe based off of that a couple other reflections. Sure, I'm going to read the little paragraph. In last podcast I mentioned that, um, just to remind the listeners, uh, remind ourselves too, that we're taking one paragraph each podcast as a backdrop. Last time was um, we focused a lot on baptism. Mm -hmm. And I'll link this once again in the, the description for you guys to follow along. Okay, and so we'll just read the second paragraph of this essay, <clears throat> Abiding in Mary's Womb with the Holy Spirit. So the paragraph reads like this. St. Francis of Assisi spoke about Mary's presence as spouse of the Holy Spirit. And this title carries a special significance. It is by abiding in her womb at prayer that the Holy Spirit is able to be received new each morning. By participating in this ongoing Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is also released in our hearts for ministry and brings us to a fuller maturity in Christ Jesus. And that fuller maturity is a reference to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, where St. Paul's talking about healing really as in a broad sense of us day by day coming into deeper maturation, Christ within us um, comes to fuller maturation. So, um, yeah, so that's the beautiful paragraph and it's packed with uh, all sorts of um, invitations to taste and see um, what it's like to, to abide in Mary's woman prayer, you know, what, what prayer is, what prayer actually is and how to receive the ongoing Pentecost. I, I love the, uh, the each morning part of the, of the paragraph. Um, I often uh, refer back to uh, Lamentations 3, where um, it's just coming to me right now. Of course, I, I use it a lot in confession, so I, at the beginning of confession, so I can turn to it here um, but listen to this it's a uh, it's lamentations 3 22 through well the whole thing's 22 through 27 but i'm just going to read the first part the favors of the lord are not exhausted his mercies are not spent you're always signing your emails under the mercy. His mercies are not spent. They are renewed each morning. So great is his faithfulness. Now this just, you know, that his mercies are renewed each morning. Um, just this invitation to let it, because he's attracted to our misery, Jesus is attracted to our misery, to let him keep scooping out any misery taking it to his heart and that 
so each morning in this little paragraph is like, okay, if I'm abiding with Mary and, and I'm attached to her, like the Psalms say, um, uh, perfect praise is found on the lips of infants. Mm. While there's nothing more receptive or vulnerable than us being childlike in faith in, in her womb, analogously, you know, and receiving everything from her while she's receiving everything from the Holy Spirit. And um, so that ongoing praise and vulnerable receptivity, and kind of a couple of thoughts are coming to me all at once, I guess. But that as mercies are renewed each morning means that we're allowing ourselves to that any misery that we would have, that it's just going to the Father through Jesus, that he's constantly restoring and regenerating us, giving us new birth, giving us new birth, gestating, giving new birth. This is just constant. And that so tender and strong and sweet, like the might of the Spirit's glory. Oh, the thought that was coming to me was, yeah, just to bear with me, there's this wonderful book called Devotion to the Holy Spirit by Archbishop Martinez. Um, you and Amanda are going to Guadalupe soon uh, to pray there. Well, she's pregnant, of course, Our Lady Guadalupe, and Archbishop Martinez was Archbishop of Mexico City. So he had this whole, he was imbued with a kind of a special I believe a special supernatural understanding of the Toma of Our Lady of Guadalupe as Archbishop of Mexico City. And he wrote, it wasn't specifically about the Toma, but he wrote this book, Devotion of the Holy Spirit. And in it, he says, um, I remember when I read this, I was, I never heard it put so directly. And it was so joyful because it was helping me name my experience and seeing the experience in so many other people that I would listen to. And this is what he said. He said, uh, we need to have a devotion to Mary similar than similar to the devotion we have to the Holy Spirit because both the presence of Mary and the presence of the Holy Spirit are invading our hearts all the time, like being poured into our hearts all the time, like Romans 8 says, like the Spirit's being, Romans 5 rather, the Spirit's being poured into our hearts. But that the simple loving presence of Mary and the presence of the Holy Spirit are, and this is what he says, are replicating, he says that exactly, I don't know how you say that in Spanish, but are replicating the image of Jesus in us. Like, I just turn to Mary and abide in her and I stay open to the Holy Spirit. Of course, she, her presence, her beauty, her does that for us. Then the image of Jesus that I am, that you are, and each of our listeners, that image is actually being strengthened each morning. Each morning his mercies are never exhausted or spent. So it kind of that reading from Lamentations and a couple of the other scriptures that came to me spontaneously, um, it gives a freshness to each day. 
you know, uh, abiding with Mary in her womb. Um, we can talk more about like what your experience of that is or my experience of that is, but that's sort of the yeah. the grounding that's that comes to me when I read this paragraph now from Scripture. And, and really a palpable kind of a invitation for self-forgetfulness to receive the refreshment. Because the day has, every day has its own little burdens. Mm. But like to put the burdens in the, let this be first. And then, then there's a freshness. Um, and we're being, we're maturing. We're maturing in Christ. We're being healed. I don't know, what do you, what's going on inside you as you yeah. hear some of this? I remember, I just remember the first time you gave me this essay to read. I had to sit with the title before I even got into the essay. And then it was like, I mean, just, just the power of abiding in Mary's womb with the Holy Spirit. And then I think it was actually maybe the next week our friend Julie gifted us this right here. Oh. And that's why I had that in the center because it was like, sure. I had to, you think I mean, I, it's just such you a... You think our listeners can see that? I, I hope so. I'll zoom in <laughs> to later, but okay. it, it's... Uh, I, I don't know, but it was, anyways, the, the, it was just like, oh, that's beautiful. it's filled with grace that it, the image of her carrying the child in her womb and, you know, especially with Amanda pregnant now, like yeah, all these great mysteries of pregnancy and the reflection you just read from, or, you know, recited from the Archbishop, it's like when you put it in the words that he put it, it, it really makes sense that because it's, we talk about marriage as two becoming one, and I think oftentimes we're aware maybe of the title of Mary, a spouse of the Holy Spirit, maybe we say it in a litany or something, but we're not really thinking about the, the effective power of that, the oneness there, the presence there, and like you said, of like when we're calling upon the Holy Spirit, calling upon Mary's presence, like you can't rip apart that unity the same way you can't in marriage because they're spouses. And that's like, that's not just like an abstract thing that there's, there's a true work there that I felt in both of them. Like for me personally, like even the Holy Spirit, I couldn't really, I feel like I just didn't really get what the Holy Spirit was and like couldn't really receive him because, yeah, I don't know, there was like a lack of, I, I can't really pinpoint what it was, but I just couldn't process like what, well, I just couldn't really receive it. I didn't, I, I knew I didn't receive it for some reason, <laughs> but um, like obviously through baptism and everything, but that what we would talk about in like a baptism of the spirit. I knew it wasn't there. It's like something didn't click. But for me, it was, it was through Mary that it happened. And I still can't pinpoint exactly how, but it makes sense when you put it in the line of like, they're one. So like, well, they're, they're interconnected. Like what, what comes up for you when you, what thoughts and feelings come up when you gaze 
Mm. At that, Mary is pregnant there, holding her womb. I mean, how how does that affect you? Um, what happens I, for for you? I really feel like she's like receiving even the the gentle embrace of her womb. I really feel like I'm in there. Like I I don't just see it as she's like embracing Jesus in there and that I'm like in awe of that mystery of her embracing Jesus which is amazing in itself yeah. like really feeling like looking at a picture of my own mother delighting in me mm-hmm. and like just so excited and like all the feelings that we're feeling right now with, with our son on the way of just mm-hmm. that excitement and like can't wait to see you and the little joys in feeling him kick like I'm, I feel Mary feeling all that. You feel Mary's feeling all that. Yeah. Because you're inside. You're mm-hmm. identifying with being inside, and then it makes sense yeah. of of your pregnancy, of Amanda's pregnancy with you, together around. Yeah. What's for for the longest time, even before you gave me this essay, I don't know where I picked it up. <clears throat> I don't know if it had to do with Our Lady of Guadalupe. Probably in some way. For a long time now, after receiving communion, my prayer is always like, Mary, hide me in your womb, nourish me with your breasts, hide me in your womb, protect me in your womb. Like, it's always this, and it I don't know why, but it's been there for a long time. That's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I started to pick up on that like a little, a little later, but it just, it always yeah. felt right. Like, like always in the sense in the past couple of months yeah. that, that I can't pinpoint anyone I learned that from, but it just felt yeah. right. Like it felt like that was bringing me further into communion with what I just received in the Eucharist. And some of it came, now, now, now I'm thinking about it, some of it came from St. Louis de Montfort's um, image of being in the mold of Mary's womb with Jesus and as Mary was the mold as like you know for for statues and things for creating Jesus that we can actually be present in that mold and be created as Christ and there was something that really clicked about that imagery for me when you read that yeah it helped you na- was, name your own experience yeah I think I'm, it was ho- I'm hoping that's what's going to happen for our listeners. Yeah. Could you repeat that? Like from Louis de, St. Louis de Montfort? Yeah. And I think it was in the, the Secrets of Mary or something, the little little pamphlet that mm-hmm. he wrote, that he, he writes of Mary's womb as a mold, as as in like the, the casting mold that you know, a sculptor would or something would mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how, he talks about how in Mary's womb, there's the perfect mold of Christ who was formed in her womb. And we are invited to step into that mold to be formed perfectly as Christ. And that's an imagery to what the church has always proclaimed as Mary being, you know, the, the perfect way into communion with Christ, into be, like stepping into that fuller maturity of Christ as well, right? Of like, being created 
recreated in his mold. Like the same way you can take a statue or like a bronze statue and put it in the same mold and you'd have the same thing again. That imagery is, I, I believe, what Demofor is using in that we're actually invited into the, the same mold, into, into Mary's womb. So to me, it just clicked as like something a lot less complicated than like having to work on ourselves and create like, oh, I have to scrape off this part and scrape off this part and then mold this part a little bit, mesh this part with my fingers as a sculptor and create this little, try and do, make this perfect statue of Jesus ourselves and try and sculpt it and all this. But it's like, actually, why not just pour yourself into the mold that already exists and like, you don't have to do anything. You're, you're actually, you just need to pour yourself into that and you will be formed as Christ. So for me, that imagery clicked a lot of it, honestly, just being a, a very easy way to, to become like Christ, something that I didn't have to be this super skilled artist of life for. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. That, yeah, like I, I had, it, it gave me an invitation to stop trying so hard in a way. Like I could really just rest in her womb Faith, faith becomes becomes instead of a trying and a striving faith becomes uh, the effort that I have to um, apply to life isn't it seems like opposites but it's not it's uh, it's it's um and I keep relearning this, it's a relinquishment, it's a surrender, it's a into the vulnerable receptivity. Like in the incarnational interior life of Jesus is formed in Mary and so too for us that like you stop trying or I stop trying or I keep relearning this always talking to yourself a little bit but uh, it's more of a letting go a surrender different words that mean that which is an activity which does require a choice is effort the right word I don't know it's a little awkward but it is a choice and it does take effort to abide there and to go against to go against attitudes, thoughts, the ways of the world that would take us out of that kind of being formed, like in the mold. I want to say this really quickly because so many thoughts are going through my mind and I'm like, I get so excited about, about like we talked before the podcasts were even being made that we didn't want this to be like a, a pedagogy of talking about information from theology and spirituality. And so <clears throat> in honoring that, of course, like what I'm about to say is not an apologetic to try to get people to believe 
but more of an invitation into the interior life of our experience and, and our listeners' experience. So what I'm about to say are a couple things. It's like an interior apologetic. Mm. So Bishop Barron, in his series on Catholicism, talks about the architecture of the great cathedrals, and he's standing in one of the episodes of Catholicism at Chartres in the beautiful... Uh, he's in the nave with all this incredible stained glass pouring in mm. light, and he's... And his basic teaching in that episode, or one of the main points, was that these churches were built so that the nave would be the womb, the womb of Mary, and that we would be worshiping at Mass in something, anyway, that that, that would, would be in the mind of the architect, that now, the nave wouldn't be, anyway, that that's what a nave of a church actually is, where, where you know, your, your prayers are coming to the altar from this. And, and he has a beautiful and eloquent way of describing this. So I just wanted to refer to that. I remember when I saw it, I was like, so I was like, that's it. That's what, that's what you're describing. And, and then some people, if anyone's struggling with the, <clears throat> excuse me, the image of a womb, um, St. Augustine, people could look it up, you know, but again, in the bravery, the Liturgy of the Hours, they're mainly during Advent, but um, there are readings from St. Augustine that talk about all of us having a womb. That, that He even says, how can a man be thinking of having a womb? And then he talks about how this is in the Holy Spirit is true, and how both men and women give birth to Christ, conceive and give birth to Christ. So that there are lots of references in St. Augustine about abiding in the womb, of us having a womb, and of us abiding in a womb. And um, so it's a very safe place. Oh, and then lastly, uh, Pope Benedict, uh, when he was at Lourdes, when right before, not too, it was towards the end of his pontificate, uh, he was at Lourdes and he was addressing the sick and suffering. And he said, look for Mary's smile, <clears throat> not in a sentimental way, but in a way that would give you strength in your suffering. And then he said, remember that this is just mind-boggling. But remember when you receive the precious blood at Mass, that it's Jesus' blood, but it's also Mary's. Because Jesus, well, Jesus' blood is Mary's blood from her womb, just like Amanda's nourishing your child now. All your child, your son's nourishment is coming from Amanda's blood all Jesus' nourishment. And like Pope Bennett, I, I never saw anything, I never saw that before. And he's saying that to, it's like, you can't get too much of Mary. Different saints say this. Um, now there's a lot of weird stuff out there that's very not balanced about this. But a lot of the saints, Maximilian Colby, others, 
John Paul is saying, John Paul is like, you can't get too much of Mary because Mary always takes us to Christ. Mary always matures Jesus in us, both us in her womb and then us with her in the womb of the church on mission. But in its simplicity, it it just sort of explodes with with the reality of the Holy Spirit and Mary replicating the image of Jesus in you and me and our believers. I think we need to give the Holy Spirit a place to rest in us. And that's a conscious choice each day. Am I giving the Holy Spirit a place to rest in me where I'm I'm in the darkness without quick answers, without controlling, um, and I'm waiting with certain faith on the Lord, the Holy Spirit with Mary, um, molding me, fashioning me. And, and I think that very particular attitudes and thoughts start to fall away that would have me not accept myself, not be afraid of of dying, not be afraid of, of evil having any ultimate authority, any sovereignty. You know, so different things, and it gets very practical, right, about learning, about not being afraid to learn, where I have to be vulnerable in my interior life for the incarnation to take root in my own body, I mean, mature in my own body, and how I how I feel each day, how I, well, do you, what, what's your experience of abiding in Mary's womb? Like you said that you pray that every day after, commu- after communion. Well, what's the prayer you pray every day? Mary, right. hide me in your womb. Nourish me with your breasts, mold me in your womb. And there's different levels to the experience. One of, I think, the primary levels is the healing of sexuality. A real purity in in saying that, bringing the womb, bringing the breasts, very intentionally into my senses, but in a real purity because Mary brings it in purity, and how it's not, it doesn't just, it's not just. I I think I've I've heard this or I think I'm aware of, but I think for many people maybe especially men the image of Mary's body I mean for some people and even that can be very wounding and triggering of, of lust and, and whatever but I think for some people it's like okay Mary's body I won't lust after or like I don't lust after 
as Mary, like as, as just the individual, because it feels like weird. It feels strange. Like it's a motherly figure. It's the mother of God. And it's like so many levels where it's like, it just instinctually kind of feels wrong, but they don't let it permeate into like a deeper level of like, can you let that not become a, it's a weird thing. Like, like, like not not make it something that it's like I can't I can't look at her that way, but actually like an invitation into a, a purity of of all women, of like when when I in in my prayer after communion say this it's actually a healing of my entire view of the female body, and I'm not shying away from from that imagery of Mary's body. I'm not like, I can't look at it. I used to do that of like, I'll, I'll just look at her like, above <laughs> her forehead or something and like, and you know, that way nothing weird happens, but actually like a, a full embrace of her body. And very specifically, like I said, like speaking of her womb being protected, there a nourishment from her breast. I mean, later I learned of like the saints that would do this, like St. Bernard and, but then there would be, so there's that, that purity that saints like St. Bernard and other saints have gone through of that nourishment from her breast. But then there's like the, the skeptics, yeah, whatever, like that, that would take this as like too far and literally and corrupt it as like, well, does that mean the apostles you know, like literally were nourished by her breasts and they, you just can't see like the purity in it. But for me, it was like, it, it's so deeply healing there because I see like, I'm able to see in that moment, like what the female body really is for. And so yeah, like I said, that's, that's one level of it, just how healing it is, even of for the day, like day by day, that healing of my sexuality evermore and days that it's harder stepping into that of like, Abby, what is this? Like, what, what is the female body? Who is, who is like contained? And like, who just, it, it's really a, a daily, not just reminder in the sense of like, oh, don't forget that, but really like a actual performative thing of like, today you will experience the female body in a pure way. Um, so that's one level of it. That's, I mean, I can't even describe the power of that because it's not running away from anything and it's not a denial of anything. It's actually a fuller embrace. Um, Let me say a couple yeah. things. I don't think, I don't think that you or I or anyone can actually lust after Mary in the sense, oh, I can transfer disordered affections onto anything. Any human heart can. But if you're really, if what you're describing, I think this is part of the reason why the good weirdness needs to be faced in the human heart to nurse at her breast. Um, because she is immaculate conception, because she is who she is, 
in terms of utter purity and sinlessness, her beauty and the power of that beauty conquers all lust. You, if you're really open to receiving her, which we want to be more and more, that's actually, it does seem a little weird at first, but that's more like my own shame or fears of her gaze, of her... Yeah, so, so in a way, it, it's sort of what I'm trying to say is um, to think that we actually have control over her <laughs> is um, silly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's, 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 it's a deception. And I want to go to the, like where, you know, and I've certainly been there myself, but uh, years ago, having to work through the good weirdness into my own experience of what you're describing is so beautiful. And maybe, maybe one of the most important things that we could share together and, and with our listeners but I, it just came to me spontaneously. When someone says, um, what does it mean? Like, does that mean all the apostles, like, uh, nourished at her breast and all these protests are coming up in our minds and stuff like that? Well, it's very similar to the Eucharist. It's like where Jesus, mm. what is it, John 5 or John 6, where a lot of people leave Jesus because he, how can you say that? My flesh is real flesh and my blood is real blood. And if you drink, if you eat this flesh and drink this blood, you will live forever. And it's like, it's too much. Like the Eucharist, you know, some people say, well, that's like a, like you're, you're a cannibal. You're eating, you're eating flesh. Or you say, it's, a, it's the same thing no, with Mary. You say, well, you're nursing at her breast. That's weird. Like, well, well, now you're receiving the body and blood of Jesus and it's the risen body. And it's not cannibalistic. And it's sort of, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, I think the protests in the human heart about nursing at Mary's breast or, or being like St. Joseph in terms of seeing her, her beauty, uh, her naked beauty, as she gives birth to Jesus, I'm sure he's helping deliver Jesus, you know, and the beauty of her body and the delivery of Jesus and the nativity, that this is fulfilling him and his sexuality more than he ever imagined while he remains a virgin. John Paul says in The Guardian of the Redeemer that uh, in the Holy Spirit, all of Joseph's desires are fulfilled beyond what he ever imagined possible. Um, but I think these protests are, how can I say this? I don't mean this in an accusatory way towards myself or the listeners. It's like, I think humbly we have to, how do we explain to somebody that we're not cannibals when we believe in the risen body of Jesus on Holy Communion. Well, I think inside ourselves, that maturing of understanding and knowledge, gifts of the Spirit, has to happen, that we could often be at that rudimentary level of, of faith where we need 
our own conversion so that we can explain to somebody why we're not cannibals or we can explain to somebody why, well, yes, actually all the apostles did nurse at her breast, but not the way you're thinking. Mm -hmm. Not the way, not you're in a different form. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, maybe this is the time to go to it, but I mean, the key scripture text here is, is Nicodemus and Jesus, where he says, right, um, how can a, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night, you know, he, he does, he, he's dealing with some weirdness here, good weirdness, and he wants to know how Jesus is going to, and he knows Jesus is God because what he says, uh, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. This is in John 3. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these things that you are doing unless God is with him. So he's, he's starting to believe in the divinity of Jesus. Or he's being drawn there anyway. And then Jesus answers and says to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. <laughs> you can imagine what Nicodemus must be thinking. So Nicodemus says, How can a person, once grown old, be born again? Surely he cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Well, that's what you're experiencing every day in communion. And that's what I'm saying in the essay. And, and different saints say, you know, that I'm banking on their teachings. Um, and you can hear love and humor here, I hope, where Jesus is loving Nicodemus and he's saying, yes, you can enter your mother's womb again. And this is how you're born again. Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So I won't keep reading, but he basically says, yes, you're going to be born from above by re-entering your mother's womb. And guess who your mother is? You know, and um, just the way he was born from above um, in the power of the Spirit. And so if we can let that be not just an isolated, deep religious experience, of like baptism in the Holy Spirit or release of the Holy Spirit or a religious experience of love, but we start like every day, the freshness of abiding in her womb. We can be born from above every day, but I mean, can we actually be with that Jesus without being with Mary? And the answer is no. I mean, he has her DNA, you know, now all that's resurrected and, but he was God when he walked this earth. So it's Mary's DNA, you know, with the Holy Spirit and that great mystery. That's why the incarnation is a stumbling block. Once you, we start to really realize what it means about our humanity, my body and my discernment, um, that I can actually discern certain thoughts and feelings that are in harmony with abiding in Mary's womb or with Christ. And I can actually mature in Christ as his image. All of a sudden it's not third person just following Jesus, trying to imitate him, trying to keep the commandments. Oh, that's good. But all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh. Spirit and Mary, like 
you said after communion each day, like they're actually molding my humanity, my body, my spirit. And Christ is maturing in me through this constant being born from above. So, yeah, I, it just gives so much freedom and delight, you know. And I, Nicodemus becomes a believer, you know. And, and the church starts to flourish in Jerusalem um, amidst persecution. Mm. What do you think, Ken? But the healing of the sexuality, where I, I have to let Mary's purity penetrate all my senses, you said. She's penetrating all your senses. But those senses are Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ within me. So how I start thinking about myself in humility. Maybe a way in is, I don't know, you take it wherever you want to, but maybe a way in is to is to describe how Mary draws us. How we see how we see her beauty, how she strengthens our eyes to be able to look upon her. And then what do we see when we see her beauty? Because when we see her beauty, it, as you said, is performative. It acts upon us and purifies us. And It's such a special time in your life with your first baby, mm. you and Amanda, so that this is all must be extra palpable for you. How does seeing her beauty, how does she draw us to be able to see her beauty and, and in seeing her, what happens to us. For me, like, I mean, it, it's related, of course, and, and further into the, that realm of sexuality I was talking about. But I, I guess at a different level, I don't experience her beauty like in the abstract like I used to. Like I think before, just you know, growing up Catholic, it was like Kate Mary, beautiful one, would say all the litanies and mm. all these things. But it was like, okay, like Jesus, mom, beautiful. Also, go all these different titles and be like, okay. <laughs> but I think one thing now that is really amazing for me is not just the permission, the actual necessity to see her beauty incarnate. Like it's it's her beauty as woman, as mother, as spouse, 
like so for me like I talked about with the, the image of like just just resting in her womb that's that's something very tangible like and I need these tangible things as I believe all people in some shape or form need these tangible things that it's not like that's why we have Mary. why we have spiritual senses yes <laughs> yeah yeah and so it's not like a is no longer um, okay yeah Mary all beautiful Mary my mother cool no it's Wow, like she's actually like rubbing her belly, <laughs> just delighting in me and and like, hey, like you'll you'll be okay today. Like I'm I'm with you. I'm you know I'm I'm nourishing you and fulfilling you in some ways. And there's a real voice there of from my mother. There's a real touch. A real embrace that yeah and I, I guess that's what I want to ask you because I, I know I've, I know it from experience how how like like you were talking about that there is an act of and there was an act for me of actually inviting that power to, to actually be performative in me that there was a you know I, I had to actually not that transition from just the, the words in a litany to what do those titles actually mean and letting them affect me. So that there is that action and there is that sort of process of allowing that to be performative, but I'm struggling to pinpoint how I did that. <laughs> and I, I'm curious, like if you have any insight into like steps, I mean, I hate using the word steps cause it's not like a formula, but, I guess, yeah, general guidelines. Like, how do people <clears throat> go from that abstract into, like, you talk about, like, actually the spiritual sense is being engaged with Mary, of being touched, being spoken calm words to, being cradled and rocked and kissed. Like, all these things. Like, how do you, how does that happen? Well... Here's a couple. <clears throat> I'll give you an example from my own life too, because what's happening is, which is always so beautiful in conversation, is that is I give my full attention as best I can to you and to be with you. Different things are coming up in me because the word alive in you, in real spiritual conversation, that's ordinary and deep. Uh, creates a, a synergy in the Holy Spirit of communion, where then the memory, which we've talked a lot about, um, is activated by, by love, by the Holy Spirit. That being said, um, if our listeners want to read anything special about uh, what you're referring to in terms of the spiritual senses, I would encourage a, one, a very beautiful small book is called Behold the Pierced One by Pope Benedict. Um, it's, it's, he wrote so many beautiful books and essays, but this is perhaps my favorite. Um, Behold the Pierced One, and there's a whole segment in the book 
on exactly what you were just describing, the engagement of the spiritual senses. Behold the piercing. Then I would say, well, what happens is, I think, I mean, this is just one understanding of the mystery, because we're talking about beautiful mysteries here. In terms of steps, uh, I, yeah, I want to shy away from that too. Um, I would say that we're all being drawn. Whoops. We're all being drawn by desire, by God's desire for us. He first loved us, the scriptures say. And um, so if we start paying, when we start paying attention to our interior life, the incarnation, the interior life, we'd start to notice that certain desires persist and have a quiet strength to them. When we're, when we're actually seeking the Lord, these desires will always carry some form of consolation. That's what the Sermon of Spirit says. I mean, if I'm seeking the Lord. If I'm not seeking the Lord, it'll kind of sting the conscience, you know, to draw us back to Him. But if we're seeking the Lord, the desires will have a comfort, a consolation, a quiet strength. And He will have, He's in those desires. And they have a drawing effect. Now, I may or may not be paying attention to them, but they'll come alive, especially when I pray with Scripture. Because the Scripture is alive. So, how it happened for you is being very descriptive, the way you heard different litanies and what do these titles actually mean. Somehow you started, somehow you were drawn you can't remember exactly how, which actually adds to the beauty, I think, kind of the imperceptible love that is drawing you to, like, say a spontaneous prayer after communion that becomes kind of every day. Well, you've chosen to go along with that desire or those thoughts, but that they came to you. This is what's happening with Nicodemus. Like, He's seeing the works of God. He's seeing Jesus. And he knows only God can, these, these works can only, these healings, these, this kind of forgiveness, this, this can only come from God. So he's being drawn. It's like the being drawn is enough. But he's, he's letting himself follow his desires. And that's big, like learning to pray and listen to your desires. So. The way, one of the ways this happened for me was, like, I didn't grow up in a family where we did litanies or the rosary or anything, but, or pray scripture. We went to Mass regularly and had a basic faith in the Lord's providence, Father's providence, but um, when I was, my first year as a Jesuit, we made the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, where you pray with through the life of Jesus in the scriptures, from the Annunciation to the Ascension. And you do it in slow motion. It's silent, it's powerful. You're, you see a spiritual director each day. The first week's not about that. The first week's about God's majesty and, and redeemed sinfulness. And, but then it becomes pretty intimate. And I remember going back to my room when the scriptures to be prayed with were the Annunciation 
and the nativity in and around that time of praying with scripture chronologically. And I remember going back to my room, of course, at this point you're in silence, you're very immersed in prayer. You're getting your spiritual direction each day. But I remember with Mary, now I didn't have the language at the time, but just praying with these scriptures would draw my senses into being with Mary, like at the nativity or... And you didn't have any prior thing of like, you should be close to Mary? No, I didn't. In my experience is that she was, I always felt close to her even mm -hmm. as a little boy. Mm -hmm. I had a statue of her in my room where I was afraid of the dark. Oh. And she, and she, I had this statue that I was given in my first Holy Community and my parents let me pick it. But um, I always had this sense when I would be afraid at night, falling asleep, that she was there with me. You know, and that would like help me really rest. It was really, really pervasive in my life from when I was a little child. But when I get to 22 years old, 23 years old, I forget exactly, I, I don't know, like I'm just immersed in the scriptures making their retreat. And I think maybe our listeners could relate to something like this. And I just start crying in, in consolation. And I know something's being healed, but I don't know what. And in the spiritual exercises, you pray several hours a day with, you know, relaxed breaks in between. And, and I remember going to the music room and the novitiate that was soundproof. Because, I don't know, somehow intuitively, and I just laid on my back, and I was, you had to go return to these scriptures. And Mary was central in these scriptures of the Annunciation and the Nativity, of course. And I remember I just laid on my back and some terrible pain inside that I didn't even know I was carrying. I just started repeating her name. Mary, Maria, Mary, Maria. And I just sobbed. And this went on for several hours. Um, and I would take a break and then I'd come back to the prayer and then I would be immersed. And I know in retrospect what was happening, though I don't really know particulars. And I, I would, I think it's around the Nicodemus, like I was being drawn by the Spirit up into Mary's womb to be born again. I had already experienced the release of the Holy Spirit through charismatic prayer group. And people had taught me Lexio Divina. But I think I was being reattached. Any psychologist listening about attachment theory, but then also more, even more so the, the human spirit, the, the psyche, but the human spirit actually attached to Mary in a way that was very, I wasn't like you were saying earlier, I wasn't doing anything but I was able to respond and receive. And I think wherever I was not attached uh, to my mother's love and affection because of her different imperfections, I mean, she was a good mother. Um, she did the best she could, my earthly mother, but there were lots of imperfections where I would uh, not believe I was pleasing to her or I'd be afraid of her um, corrections, so like that. that 
all these mysterious things, both as a child and as an adult, were being attached to the womb of Mary, where there's only pure love. And my own relationship with my earthly mother was being healed. But mainly my... I mean, it's so simple and so deep. And at the time, I remember saying to my spiritual... I mean, I didn't know what was going on, and he didn't either. And that was sufficient. Like... It wasn't to be figured out. All I knew is that I was being attached to Mary's womb and heart in a way I never had been before. And some deep pains were being healed. And and life was never the same after that again. Um, I mean, life was life and things went on. But I think, I think the Christian life the Catholic life could be understood as a progressive being born from above through Mary's womb. And to be Jesus in her womb, which, which we are through baptism, then we receive what he received. And any imperfections or places where we couldn't receive love uh, or anything that was projected onto us um, is ordered now but is, is reordered is restored regenerated um, but I think in, instead of steps it's there's if there's a step it's the quiet vulnerable receptive surrender to being to receiving from her and the Holy Spirit and then she does for us what she did for Jesus. And we're, we're her son too. We're, 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 we're sons in the sun. We're her son too. Of course, there's a whole spousal dimension that Jesus reveals at the cross and at the wedding feast of Cana where she's also spouse. And that's why St. Francis of Assisi in this paragraph, I think starts to, I think it's part of the reason why he calls her spouse of the Holy Spirit, like he's experiencing the passion and resurrection of Jesus in his own life, the more he gives himself to her as spouse of the Spirit. Like you were saying earlier, like he's just completely molded and fashioned And I mean, he, he's like probably the most popular saint in the world next to Mary. I mean, people, lots of non-Catholics and non-Christians know about Francis of Assisi. So it's like the power of the evangelization that happens when someone allows themselves to be with, it's evident in Francis's life. Um, yeah, so I think it's letting scripture be performative in dark mystery of course, wombs are always dark. Get over our little fears of darkness. And where we, we give God permission to be God for us, the Spirit, in and through Mary. And um, like the purity that you've, the healing that you've experienced through your senses and that you do each day in some deepening 
just keeps occurring. That's what I mean in this paragraph is that are fresh every morning, are renewed every morning. And what you're saying is just a beautiful witness to that. Anyway, uh, that one experience for me was, I, I think, I think we're often afraid of being so attached in dependency on, yeah. on Mary's love because we have built up so much self-reliance and ways that we can get along in the world that, well, they make sense and they're good, you know, but it's not like a real, you know, chastity means like transparency, like a real transparent surrender. You know, we really let our guard down. Of course, we need God's grace to do that. We can't just will it, but, but we can, follow those desires and surrender our wills. Yeah. Even, even in what you're sharing, I heard once again the theme of a childhood awakening. Mm -hmm. Like, not to project onto it too much, but what I, what I kind of hear in the imagery is like even in that darkness as a child at night, that there was like an inner awareness of like, the darkness of a womb, but like mama's with you. <laughs> like, but you know, obviously you wouldn't put that language to it as a, as a kid, but there's something like instinctively there that was then reawakened and, you know, as a matured man. And like you said last week, kiss, kissing the fears, yeah. kissing the yeah. fears, kissing the scars, kissing the fears. Yeah. No, it's, I was remembering, I think one point that, and I just share this to kind of like your experience with, you know, your childhood experience and then with the spiritual exercise that the simplicity of experiences that spark our journey with the Lord, particularly through Mary. One experience I had was when I was in seminary, um, this was a particular time where I was really struggling to understand Mary and there was, I guess, almost even like an anger. I don't know if it was with her particularly, but with the idea of her. Because, like you were saying, I was just really struggling with maybe the imperfections of my own mother. And generally speaking of, honestly, a practical thing. Because I, I tend to think that way sometimes to my own fault of like, yeah, we already got enough with all these Jesus devotions. <laughs> I don't want to throw another thing into the mix. Uh, <laughs> I know, one more thing. Yeah, exactly. I was like, man. This actually simplifies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was like, man, at the time, what, the way I was thinking was, like, <laughs> I feel like I, you know, everyone's like, man, now you're in seminary. Like, you hear all these things about good priests being close to Mary. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to wake up for Mass every day. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> It's, this is one more thing in the mix, but yeah, yeah. So there's like a, a little frustration there. Yeah, yeah. But but two simple things happened while I was there. One was um, and I forget which came first, but it doesn't really matter too much. But one was there was this, I remember exactly, just like the front left stained glass window in the in our chapel was um, Our Lady of Grace, and uh, same image on the miraculous medals, I believe. And, but it was, it was beautiful, full, full colored sunlight coming through. 
But all the images in the chapel were beautiful. Like, they were all nice. But I remember one day sitting in the chapel in prayer, not knowing how to pray, but just being like, Lord, teach me to pray. I don't know how to do this. Um, hmm. And Me too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And really? the way I describe it, and it, and it doesn't do it justice, but it's the best way I can, it was almost like that image of Mary came alive and almost took like a, like a Mona Lisa type effect where her eyes were looking straight, but they were looking at me. Probably, and, probably looking through you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? It's like, it was, it was piercing and it was, mm-hmm. I was just gazing at that image for a long, long time and just struck. And I, I remember, I, I didn't understand it one thing, but I remember it like, every single day in the chapel after that, just after mass going to the image kind of in that gaze of like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and then the, there were many small experiences of Mary throughout. But then the second major thing was I was reading, uh, uh, Fulton Sheen's, um, world's first love. And I guess trying to, uh, Maybe, yeah, maybe it was an attempt to try and understand what was happening with Mary. Um, honestly, I don't remember a lot of the book, but the one thing I remember that still sticks with me to this day was I think it was in the introduction where he talks about Mary as the blueprint in every man's heart. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember just being like, connecting the dots there not you know it still took years to connect the dots and it will continue to but like a one you know a couple i guess a couple dots connected of like that's it like that's it like she's the blueprint she's the blueprint and just like i didn't even understand fully what that meant but it just sparked this like awakening of yearning like from there yeah so i, I just share that because it was like it, it's such a simple experience it's not like you know, it wasn't an apparition per se in the formal sense, but it was a simple, simple appearance of Mary in my own life that awakened something. And thanks be to God, I paid attention to it. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, if there are steps, and in a certain sense there are, but yeah. we don't want to think too linear yeah. in a linear way. Yeah. You just named them, I think. Something in me awakened. Mm when you were trying to understand how you had been pierced by her gaze and more, you were seeking more understanding and this, of course, but there has to be an interior paying attention to what's, what you're being awakened to and what the experience is like in the awakening. And that's where the Holy Spirit, like, well, that's where discernment happens. Um, I'm going to read something real fast Please, on discernment. Yeah. I, I saw this the other day, and I, I thought, oh, i got to bring this in the podcast. So this is from St. Well, it's, it's from the Liturgy of the Hours. It's, I'm, I'm going to slaughter the name, I think. Diadokos, D I. D-I-A-D-O-C-H-U-S. He was bishop in the early church of a place called Fontis. So he writes about the sermon. He says, now think of what you just said. 
the mind is capable of tasting and distinguishing accurately whatever is presented to it. Just as like you're, you're reading Fulton Sheen's book and trying to understand more of Mary, and, and he writes, just as when our health is good, we can tell the difference between good and bad food by our bodily sense of taste of taste and reach for what is wholesome. So when our mind is strong, when our mind is strong and free from all anxiety, it is able to taste the riches of divine consolation and to preserve through love the memory of this taste. The mind tastes. The mind, certain thoughts help us to taste what's good and wholesome and life-giving, and our mind also tastes what's not. And so, like, the more you were awakened, you wanted to keep tasting our presence and like what's going on, you know. The steps, paying attention, paying attention maybe is step one. I don't know, I can't put it in steps. But when we pay attention, we start to realize the spirit is active in our thoughts to give us tastes of goodness and love every day and we can surrender and follow or we could just kind of just keep motoring on and not listen and, yeah. but when we do surrender to those well we run into her you know and we run into the holy spirit and this is very sweet um when you were talking about like assuring you that you're things are going to be all right today, rubbing your stomach. Um, did I hear that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's by... Some people will say, oh, that's beautiful metaphor. That's, oh, that's pious talk, you know. And No, no. In, in all due respect, if you're listening and you're thinking that, you're wrong. Because <laughs> I was wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned that there's something different than metaphor. There's an analogy and the imagination by analogy takes us to touch reality yeah which is love in other words it's a big word but a analogous imagination connects us with reality with the living memory of jesus risen with mary assumed into heaven and our imagination is always at work and we're either connected with reality or we're off into fantasy and if we're off into fantasy, it's not going to be consoling. If we're letting ourselves be touched by reality, Mary's womb, Mary's breast, Holy Communion. In other words, is she actually rubbing your stomach? Yes. By analogy, your imagination can be connected. Why do I experience such consolation or Holy Communion? Because the risen body of Jesus is actually touching me is actually coming into me. And so how else can I explain that consolation? Like I can't generate that. It's being generated for me from above, you know. In other words, like when someone has an experience of prayer where like like let's say Mary 
You're praying with the nativity and Mary invites you to hold the baby. I've seen that on retreats many times. It's always different depending on the person's history, but I've seen it many times. And I'll say to the person afterwards, um, do you believe you were really holding the child Jesus as you participated in that contemplation? And they're all their senses to say, yes, I was, but they kind of have to give their mind permission to believe like, oh, was that, what, what, what was that experience? And, and then I want to, unfortunately, we sometimes commodify our religious experiences of truth and beauty and, and actually you were holding the baby in the mystery of the spirit. You weren't taken back to 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, but that mystery is alive in Mary and Jesus now. And you were taken into that mystery that's alive. Today, and you were given, you were given the baby through the scriptures that are alive. And so you have to trust that experience. And if I start to surrender my will and imagination and intellect, well, then you start to write like St. Bernard, Bernard, and you start to write like St. Therese or Fulton Sheen, or, because you're describing your experience rather than some abstract principle. Yeah. Anyway, so I just want to say that, like, don't doubt your experiences of love when, to our listeners, when you're praying with scripture and something as intimate as I'll be is presented, starts happening for you. Like, just let yourself trust. Yeah. And I like to add into the, like, to not, like, don't try to make it so cinematic. Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a mistake I would always make that would oh, suppress good. my religious experiences of, like... What do you mean? Like, my experience, specifically in this case that we're talking about, like, with with Mary's... Experiencing Mary in my senses is not... Like you were saying, it's not like I feel like I'm in a time capsule and I'm, I'm there in Nazareth 2,000 years ago with them in the sense that you would see it in a movie of like being, you know, taken into a time capsule and back there. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what we tend to do and what I used to tend to do, I think a lot of people do is think, Oh, that, so that's what, you know, the mystics experienced. Like they, they felt like they were in a time capsule and like in that, or they, they felt like they were taken in a rocket ship up to heaven or, you know, like all these things that I think we make too cinematic. Right. Because, that's all how cinema can portray it. But then we start to like, like really reduce the power of our own experiences in prayer. Exactly. And it really goes against like the fact that we're all called into this, all invited into this. And the Lord really wants to give all of us these experiences. Obviously there's, there's different types and different types of mystical experiences, but like we can, we, we can do like a lot of harm to our own experience if we just start to put it in this very narrow box of like 
how would this be portrayed in a in a really like nice movie and like it's super yeah. nice like lights flashing like all these things like it, it's not that some people I, I don't know i can't say but maybe somebody has something that vivid for me like i i wouldn't put it in that description but it's very real nonetheless and yeah i, I just say it because like I, I don't know there can be a temptation to be like well i'm not experiencing what you know, I'll be experienced or experiencing what St. Teresa of Avila experienced or like these things. And yeah, maybe you're, you're not because you're not me. Not, not me in the sense like you're not as good as me. Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying it will be different for you. But like, don't try and put it into this strange box of like what, a, what a movie might portray it as. Cause then you can like lose sight of the beautiful things that are happening in your life. Well, that's when, like, we we're going back to what you were saying earlier. But when we're trying, yeah, yeah, it can be subtle, but where we're trying in our own creativity to be consoled, and we create something, but we don't realize we're not abiding yeah. in Mary's creativity and her presence or in the Holy Spirit's. So Saint Ignatius had this on his on his sick bed. You've probably heard this, like. And you think, talk about practicality, like, so he's sick, he's recovering from terrible leg surgery that's very painful, and his imagination's at work, and he wasn't really a man of prayer, but he was starting to turn to the Lord in prayer. There was lives of the saints in the Bible mm -hmm. were only the only things available to him, and he was getting bored, like you often do, recuperating from sickness, and so kind of like what you were saying, like a cinema, he would, his desires for greatness, his desires to be a good man, would take him into, uh, in his imagination, he'd, he'd start creating kind of like this cinema of like great acts of chivalry or um, a certain way of being a soldier. or um, And that would be consoling. But then, as soon as he stopped thinking about it, because it was him mm. making, it, the consolation would go. Mm. It would, and you get exhausted after a while, and you start to realize, oh, this is me. Like, I'm talking to myself. I'm not really responding to the presence of God. But then he also had, in these same desires for greatness and to be a good man, he also noticed when he was reading the life of Francis of Assisi and Dominic, other saints, that when he was connected, he didn't realize, he didn't have the language at the time. This is what Discernment of Spirits was written from later on. He started realizing that there was someone pursuing him and that there were other ways of being like Francis or being like Dominic that tapped the same desires for greatness and goodness and these consolations didn't leave. In other words, they weren't self-generated. He was his making of a movie in his life, which is kind of normal day mm -hmm. daydreaming when you're bored. But, but he started realizing by paying attention to his interior life that well, there were certain consolations. Now, if I start following those thoughts, like from the brief. And, he, and so he did. So he started following those thoughts and he started 
In other words, his desires were being fulfilled. And so he wanted to be like Francis and Dominic. And this was the beginning of his own deep conversion. Now, it took two years to learn to pray with scripture in the Benedictine monastery. Um, but the, the point is affirming. When interior thoughts are self-generated and we're trying to make something happen like with the cinema in our life, we'll get tired and the constellations won't last. Mm -hmm. be, but the constellations that aren't self-generated are present. It's the spirit, the consoler. And to follow those, well, I mean, this is what St. Joseph, I mean, this is what the apostles and St. Joseph, like, and Mary helps, Mary helps us understand the movements of the spirit, especially around fear. Like, don't be afraid, Mary. How's this going to happen? Like, well, this Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Like, he speak, the angel speaks into her human fear to, to love her there. And then she teaches the apostles and Joseph that, like, okay, let, let the Spirit speak into your fears and, and, and bring about something beautiful and good with your life that you start realizing, like, your spiritual inheritance, like, that all the promises of God are, are being fulfilled have been fulfilled in Jesus, are being fulfilled. And I just have to learn how to mature in participating. But um, it is an ongoing surrender of, to what you were describing. Um, but we can't get enough of it yeah. after a while. I mean, you, 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 at first it's like growing in relationship. Then it moves to friendship then it moves to intimacy and God never takes back and just draws us deeper. And then the more intimate, the more it's like, well, that's what Archbishop Martinez said, Mary and the Holy Spirit are fashioning you and I and our listeners. And he's like, oh my gosh, I get to live Jesus's life in the power of the spirit in and with Mary and the Trinity like that. And I, and I, when I turn over my fears that I can't do it, it's precisely there that, that they mold me and, and show me my humanity is exactly the place where it's all happening, yeah. where I feel like it's not possible, um, where I might have sort of a quiet discouragement or despair even, hope starts to be tasted about anything mm. because the only thing that matters is is indwelling mm. maybe we can you pray wanna, with that you want to lead us on a prayer Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your life within us, for your life in the words that we are speaking.
Thank you for inviting us into the very memories of our life. Mary, we thank you for being present with us, for showing us in our past, in our present, in our future, where we yearn for you. We yearn for your comfort, for your nourishment, for the mold of your womb. Thank you for inviting us into such a vulnerable place of your body. No shame. gentle smile Holy Spirit you the church teaches us that you are breath Jesus breathes on the apostles and breathes the Holy Spirit upon them breathe on us anew afresh right now in this moment thank you for doing that every day Help us to be awakened um, as a bee's witness calls us to be ever more awake to you breathing in us, being our very breath. Mary, we thank you for your hiddenness and for your gentle invasiveness to draw us in ways that we kind of understand and kind of don't understand. And we invite you to Invade us all the more with your gentleness to help us laugh as you taught Joseph to laugh amidst the trials on his way to Egypt, on your way to Egypt and returning home, all the ups and downs of life. Invade us with your gentleness. And St. Joseph, uh, teach us what you learned from Mary and the Holy Spirit, especially all the men who are listening. Um, make us the gentle, the ever more gentle. Maybe in, in each of our own ways, make us the gentlest of men. And we surrender to that mystery now, in and through Mary, who takes us to Jesus. Amen. <laughs>